season of Yeah, We Read It. I'm your host, Maggie. I'm also your host. My name's Laura. And we mentioned this in the last episode. We are doing a very special season. This season, we are reading all of John Green's anthology. We are starting off with his first book, Looking for Alaska, arguably his best banger. Best banger. Yeah, I'm really excited to dive into this uh, season just because John Green was a very prolific YA author in uh, lots of different types of stories. And I'm super excited to dive into this season because we're doing something different. We're bringing on friends for every single episode to read these books that really formed us in our youth. And our first friend is Austin. Guys, thanks for having me. Yay, Austin, thank you for uh, being here. Austin is a fan of the podcast. I once got drunk and he and I talked about our Hunger Games season in uh, detail. Very, very broad detail. So very excited to have you, buddy. Welcome. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, You know, John Green was very formative just growing up and especially as a young man and, you know, just with kind of what he talks about um and also i've just caught just such an incredible amount of flack from friends <laughs> and partners and things over the years for just being a big john green fan and now it's finally paid off I'm yeah. with you guys. i don't know why why i mean i get like um i feel like i said this to both of you like john green books i feel like you either like really love the book or you really hate the book there's no like this book was fine like it's very, very um, that, but I really don't think you can say he's a bad writer or you should shit on someone for liking his books. And when we brought up this idea, we were all really drunk. We were hanging out at Laura's studio apartment and Austin was the first one to really jump at looking for Alaska. Yeah. So like, why do you, what is your history with this book? Why do you like it yeah. so much? So this was one of those first books, you know, in high school, it was given to me just as like, oh, hey, this is a YA book you should read. It was the first time I had read a book, I think that was actually written by a man, actually. So I was big mm-hmm. into Harry Potter with Joanne writing those. And yeah. then read Hunger Games. I read uh, Suzanne Collins, of course. But John Green, I thought, captured this voice of the of like my unhinged teenage boy brain. Mm. And it was the first time I had felt that, you know, somebody was speaking my language. And now, reading it again as a 28-year-old semi-grown man... God, that was embarrassing. You know, it's just like, so I'm really looking forward to talking about this from the lens of, okay, I've grown up, but yeah, it was a very formative book for me. And mm-hmm. I, I read through this and I, I kind of see a younger version of myself. So. Yeah, oh, no, really I, I really like the way John Green writes is because um, a lot of his protagonists are extremely flawed. I feel like in the world of YA, it's always like this very much heroic person who against all odds can overcome anything and he tends to write very realistic people who are just like very insecure very unsure of themselves don't know who they are yet uh which i think really does set him apart from the other ya authors that you know we have read yeah and i like him because alaska has green eyes and big tits and that's the kind of person i want to be (laughs) wow and with that that note let's dive into the roller coaster of the book that is looking for alaska so this book is divided into two parts before and after there is no chapters there is a, a simple measure of time uh how either this many days before or this many days after and those split up our paragraphs they're not chapters which i thought was a really interesting choice format wise yeah it really encaptures uh 
I mean, how, how fleeting time is. It really captures time. Some days go by quickly. Other days are more important than others. Yeah. So our protagonist is Miles Halter, and he's not a cool guy because he lives in Florida. <laughs> uh, mostly, but also he has no friends. <laughs> yeah, it's 136 days before we learn he's going to go to boarding school in Alabama. His dad went there. We learned that Miles' whole thing is that he's seeking this thing called the great perhaps uh, to search for bigger meaning in life. But we learned pretty quick that Miles is a loser. He has no friends. So the likelihood of him getting a perhaps is uh, is limited. <laughs> yeah, and we're not sure if the no friends came before the living in Florida, but they, the two could be completed. Yeah, it's uh, when his mom throws him the going away party. Oh, and it's just, yeah. it's actually really sad of, yeah. you know, he's like, my mom has convinced herself that I've been hiding this burgeoning popularity from her. Yeah. And it just blows up in mom's face. Yeah. And like the mom character throughout is just like, oh my gosh, just just believe him. He is a nerd. Like, don't, don't force it, mom. <laughs> yeah. Know? I know. Yeah. His parents so badly, like, want him to be a, a young budding socialite and he just is not. <laughs> yeah. Only two kids show up to this uh, party of him leaving Florida because he wants to leave, which is very relatable. And he wants to go to Alabama. Why? You know, I guess school. But Yeah. Nepotism. <laughs> yeah. he's a legacy at Culver Creek yeah. I know yeah it's one of those things it's like what a loser you're a legacy at some Culver Creek school in Alabama that most people don't even stay on campus for the weekends because that's how boring it is yeah um, but he goes to the school and we are introduced to Chip uh, who is his roommate and we cl- quickly learned that there are two peas in, a po- peas in a pod because Miles his other big thing is that he likes to memorize people's last words and Chip's big thing is he just likes to memorize facts in general and mostly capitals of places. So oh, yeah. they're they're going to be buddy buddies now because now they have something to bond them. <laughs> yeah, it did feel very realistic in the sense of, I mean, you know, people love setting high school and universities and like yeah. academies, which is just college. But the freshman year college experience of just being friends with whoever's in proximity Yes. Not sure if they would be friends outside of the fact that they're just roommates. Yeah. Yeah. No, 100%. They have nothing in common. Yeah, but, like, them being forced together and, you know, and so Chip is referred to as the colonel, which I think is hilarious because (laughs) it's like, oh, he's this little military man walking around bossing everyone around. I'm like... I think it's cute that somebody, instead of calling him Napoleon, was like, no, we're going the next level. You're the colonel. Yeah. Like, yeah. Which, which, and throughout this kind of through line of the book, like, ooh, they follow the colonel. And they're like, and there are times where even the characters say, like, we don't know why we follow him. He has yeah. this, like, aggressive charisma to him. And I think yeah. Miles just needs somebody to follow. Yeah. And, like, imprint Yeah, yeah. The, the biggest thing I think we'll all listeners will learn, and we all, like, really learned going through this, is Miles is such a non- action person he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't make any choices for himself like everything he does is like someone else telling him to do it um and the colonel uh who he will be here to to referred as because chip out the door colonel full full 24 7 now he decides to give miles a cool fun nickname because that's how buddy buddy they are and he's like i'm gonna call you pudge because it'd be funny because you're really skinny oh yeah (laughs) we we're learning um, through John Green's anthologies. He's got a, a big obsession with um, 
Wait, yeah, you know, I mean, the early two thousands was pretty fat. Public. Yeah, yeah, and John Green is no different. He's a pretty fat public in these books too. Absolutely, yeah. There's, yeah. there's a few that I marked. Where I'm yeah, like, Christ Green, calm down. Exactly. Like, it's like this. We could have just taken this out, and it wouldn't have affected the plot at all. But Chip and Miles, though fundamentally different, Chip is kind of public school kid, cool. Um, Miles seems to be like upper middle class. Chip explains the lowdown to Miles or the Colonel. Um, explains the lowdown to Miles, which is just there's a hierarchy of rich kids at Culver Creek. They are called the Weekend Warriors. They just come to school on the weekends, and the public school kids are in dorms, mm-hmm. and they hang out, and Colonel is like, there's not much overmixing, even though he's kind of a hypocrite, because his girlfriend is a Weekend Warrior right yeah. now, Sarah. Yeah, that's such high school logic, though, where it's just like, this is how things are, except for when they aren't. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, we also are quickly introduced to Alaska, who she has a single now, we learn, because her um, former roommate has been expelled uh, for reasons we'll divulge later. Yeah. Um, and Alaska is a very um, bubbly, manic pixie dream girl archetype, um, which is really, really important because this book is very much about calling out the idealization of women. Uh, but she, being cool and fun as she is, has to tell the colonel about how she got her boob honked against her will this summer. Yeah, the Me Too movement hasn't existed yet. It is just a, a thinly veiled sexual assault story. She gets yeah. her boob honked by a, a friend who is does not want to be in the friend zone. Yeah. A non-existent yeah. place. And Alaska's other big thing is always talking about how she has a boyfriend. Um, we also get to introduce to, <laughs> she, it's true. She's got two personalities, big tits and boyfriend. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but also like, like if you put that up against, right? Like, so her formative moment is unwanted sexual advances. Yeah. Potential sexual assault. And so she's like, the first thing she tells any man she meets, I have a boyfriend. So it's yeah. like up front and center. She knows she's being sexualized by all these people. And yeah. That was one of the things that when I read it this time around, it's been a long time since I've read it, is I always thought like, oh, wow, you know, Alaska is kind of just this, you know, in the wind. She's being blown around. All the, like, she's so sexual. I'm like, no, she's deeply aware. And so she yeah. wields that like a bit like a sword, right? It's both her protection, but it like, it, it bounces yeah. back at her. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I think that that is also such a trauma response as much mm-hmm. as I'm being a little silly billy over here um, in the sense of as a woman, we are taught our beauty is our worth. And in understanding that and reconciling with it and then also catering to the male gaze and being like, this is my only worth. Yeah. I think it's very relatable exactly. for Alaska. Like, yeah. I would have a boyfriend no. and want all my guy friends to fuck me, but also not fuck Exactly. Me. Alaska seeks Because <laughs> it makes you feel like... That's the Alaska thing. Alaska Young, right there. <laughs> yeah, like seriously. Like, exactly. No, she yeah. seeks validation so much and wants to be sexualized, but like on her own terms. But that's because that's what she's been It's told. the only way you know how to be right? close to people. Um, exactly. Yeah, I, Alaska is such a, um, a a deep, deep character. And I, I do... I cannot wait to dissect And one more. of the perks of her is she has cigarettes. Yeah. She gives these boys some cigarettes. Sells them for five bucks, and the colonel immediately is like, Hey, Miles, you're gonna buy some cigarettes and you're gonna start smoking. Miles, again, he doesn't make decisions. He's going to start smoking. So they go to the lake, which is like the the only wonder of the world on this college campus, sorry, <laughs> high school campus, uh, that is marked by a swan that is an asshole. Like, that is what yeah. we learn. Uh, and the colonel just kind of like leaves him. He's like, here's the lake. Gotta go find Sarah. Bye. Uh, so Miles decides to sit on a swing and smoke. And that's when Alaska shows up um, and says, hey, I'm going to get you laid. 
Yep, she admits to Miles that she does find him a little bit cute, but she can't do anything. Because she has a boyfriend. Her favorite talking point hits it immediately. She's got a boyfriend. And she hasn't cheated on this one yet. So good for her. Yeah, you know, making strides. <laughs> and then she lasts a whole page. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so Miles immediately is infatuated with Alaska, despite his having spent a cumulative of 15 minutes with her um, over these past two scenes. He immediately starts asking the colonel, like, nonstop questions about Alaska. And the colonel's like, dude, <laughs> dude, stop. He's like, don't go there. I know that she probably made you feel special for a millisecond. Yeah. But it's not going to transpire into anything. Yeah. He's like, this is what Alaska does, essentially. Um, and in the middle of the night, Miles is woken up. Uh, she's the man style. She's the man style. The colonel's like, hey, have fun, buddy. So he's in on it. Uh, and Miles is taken in his little underwear to the lake. He's duct taped, like, limb to limb, so he cannot move, and he is thrown into the lake like a little tadpole. Yep, we assume it's the Weekend Warriors, and they're also telling him not to hang out with the colonel. Yeah, yeah, so th- this this went to zero to a hundred real quick. I forgot about this scene in this book until it came up. Yeah, yeah, we realized that, you know, some of all this talk about, like, honor, not snitching, the rivalry between the Weekend Warriors, you're like, oh, cute, there's little gangs, and then they almost kill Miles. Like, yeah. First day in, and it's this, like, aggressive, just, like, emasculating moment. There's nothing yeah. more emasculating for yeah. a character that already very clearly doesn't see himself as a grown-up, as a man to literally be duct tape, hogtied, and thrown in the river yeah. by older men, right? Like, so it's, I think that just, like, opens this up for yeah. him to say, yeah. oh, God, like, this is so serious. Yeah. It's, not it's also the adventure he wants, though. Yeah. Yeah. He, he gets a kick out of it. Yeah, like, like, adrenaline. Um, do you guys, Miles is able to mermaid his way out of it. Do you all think you'd be able to swim out? No, I'm the, dead. Yeah. I'm dead. Oh, I would, I, yeah, like. Because if you're duct taped, also, like, floating on your back kind of requires your legs, too. Yeah, it requires your and arms. Core, yeah. Like, and breathing. Yeah. Exercises. He is the calmest yeah. near murder victim. And they even call that out there. Like, you stay pretty chill. He's like, it'll be fine. Yeah. You're like, wow, Miles. Yeah, Jeez. Miles, our, our two-dimensional uh, rock star. And um. after this happens, he immediately goes to the one woman in his life for emotional support, um, Alaska. And we learn Alaska's moody. Is it borderline personality disorder? We'll Maybe never projects. know. Is it, is it trauma? Is it we'll deep-seated know. depression? But she is like, Miles, this happens to everyone. Get over it. You're being such a baby. And then he's, like, dripping wet from the lake and goes to his dorm and sleeps and he's upset. Yeah. And then the colonel wakes up the next morning and he's like, they taped you? Because we learned you weren't, he wasn't supposed to get taped. He was just supposed to get, like, love dunked and then it was going to be fine. Love dunked. Um, So the colonel decides to declare war on the weekend warriors. And we also learned the weekend warriors did piss in the colonel's shoes. This is true. We also get introduced to who is going to be a another pillar of this friend group, Takumi, who is a friend of theirs, who Miles is complaining about Alaska being standoffish, being kind of distant, and Takumi is like, you just, she's kind of a bitch, dude. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what to say. I, I also want to, like, also point out is that he's just, like, People are mean. People are moody sometimes. You have to understand yeah. other people. And Takumi's the very first character of many in this book that remind Miles, like, other people are real people. Yeah. That you have to have empathy 
dude and like he does not learn that lesson no not at no. all it's so funny like like it is literal nail on the head of how many times miles is reminded to like hey this is a person you're talking about just they they don't exist like in your head as they do in the real world and miles is just like uh-huh yeah yeah uh-huh. and Damn. people are moody dude you gotta get used to living with people you could have worse friends in alaska Man. and it's just like and Takumi throughout this is just like, you're such a dick, dude. Yeah. Like, like, just, Miles just relate, is a like, dick. Yeah. It's going to be a huge learning curve for him when he finds out about periods and what <laughs> happens with yes. the Yes. <laughs> I caramba. I caramba. Um, but then school does start um, and we are introduced to Dr. Hyde, who is a religion teacher. Everybody mm. hates Dr. Hyde, except for Miles. He thinks he's like the bee's knees. This guy is cool and he's smart. And that's all Miles cares about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's this older philosophy teacher and, and kind of religion. He talks about like Buddhism and um, like monk, monkism, monk, just being a monk, just being a guy, just being a silly guy learning about God. Yeah, that was my favorite lecture of his about how the monks are all just silly guys. <laughs> it's all silly guys learning about God. And he drops a lot of good rhetoric in this. Um, Chip goes on a date with his rich girlfriend. Um, Sarah. Sarah, but he can't iron a shirt. Yeah. So this they- is when we're introduced to like class as yeah. such a big narrative in this and Miles like becoming class conscious for the first time. He's like, like, oh, I've never known somebody who's poor. And then seeing the colonel torturing himself by dating somebody with so much money. Yeah. Is it's just, he's so self Yeah, the, the colonel like, is full ride scholarship. So, like, these things are uh, stressful to him. And especially, like, he also only has, like, a single flamingo tie. And Sarah, his girlfriend, is a bit n- not nice. Yeah, um, and the family's taking him to the opera. Yeah, and she's like, how that's dare you wear a flamingo tie? And they have a big fight, and we learn that that's just kind of like their their relationship is that they fight. And of course, in true high school fashion, uh, the colonel's going to act like this is like, uh, n- all relationships are like this. You just fight all the time, but you're in love, and that's what's important. And it's just like, oh, no, how naive and innocent to think that that is completely normal. No, but Colonel does have a very normal response to the opera. He cannot get his shirt ironed, him and Sarah fight, and he drinks a lot. Yeah, his, his, his milk vodka. Oh, it's God. unhinged. The idea that, like, one, I think this is true. I think John Green did have a friend who was probably yeah. knocking back milk and vodkas. <laughs> and just, uh, it's just a through line that, like, I did gag several times, like, thinking it's... about that. I think when I read this book first, I hadn't started drinking yet. Yeah. And then I'm just like, milk and vodka. That You're seems like, yeah. plausible. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I can't. He said something like the Greek gods used to drink this. I don't I think like, that's Ambrosia, true. food of the gods. Uh, like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it sounds heinous that they just permanently have a thing of milk uh, in their fridge that has vodka in it. But, but also, like, yeah. who are these, like, 45-year-old men sitting on the couch drinking vodkas and smoking cigarettes in high school, right? Like, yeah. these are yeah. kids who are, like, really coping with stuff and, like, really, like, substance abuse. I mean, if not to be a nerd, but, like, kids drinking and stuff, like, it's pretty intense considering what they go through in this book and how much they start leaning on those habits yeah. later in the book. I know. And, like, I feel go- like that's like the the conversation I'll have with so many people about our high school days where it's like, did the problems come first or did like the problems always be there? And then you see in media that drinking and smoking isn't, you're not supposed to do it. And that's what makes it cool. So then you start doing it and then it just starts becoming commonplace and you're like, oh, Fuck. Yeah. yeah. In the very beginning, when Miles first sees the Colonel smoking, he was like, I'm never going to smoke. And he sees the Colonel smoke. He goes, 
I have to admit, he did look cool. It yeah. made him look taller, more of a man, yeah. more more yeah. impressive. And then that's what convinced him. He's well, like, yeah. I want to look taller. And also, yeah. I like, want to look cool. It becomes know? a way for Miles to fit in too. Like he, I feel like at a, at a deep core, Miles will never acknowledge how badly he wants validation to be liked, and yeah. that's why he starts buying cigarettes, starts smoking cigarettes, starts drinking, like is going with yeah. all the shit is because like he wants friends finally which may i say same that's why i started smoking <laughs> and drinking too so it's like i in high school like reading like the past me of just like yeah. 40 straight pages of him being just so nervous mm-hmm. and not know who he is and then he sees a hot girl and a short guy looking slightly cool smoking cigarettes yeah. and he's like yeah. that's my new personality and yeah. i'm like that was me yeah i totally identify with that yeah, and, yeah. it's relatable yeah. it's so it super is. relatable to just kind of do do things yeah. to fit in and while colonel is drinking his little milk vodka sitch right now we figure out why sarah is mad at him and she's mad because she thinks that he's the one that ratted out paul and myra the girl who was going to be alaska's roommate um because the eagle the guy who's kind of the dean of this school caught Paul and Myra having sex, but he would have had to be tipped off. Yeah. So no one knows. That's like the big mystery right now. And that's the reason why the weekend warriors and the Colonel and his gang of friends are beefing. Miles kind of walks into a gang war. Yeah. Like at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, we, we kind of fast forward through a few days here. Miles is doing well in school because he likes to read. Uh, that's something that is explicitly said. That's not even me just like having an opinion. Like it's explicitly stated. Um, he does one day get kicked out of Hyde's class for looking out the window and Alaska gets kicked out with him so they can hang in, out. In solidarity. Like, yeah. I, yeah. My, my favorite line though is before he gets kicked out, I couldn't see the trees for the forest. Like, John Green yeah. is constantly being like, hey, Miles' perception is crap. Yeah. He's like, and like, that is one of the more subtle metaphors in this book. There <laughs> yeah. aren't a lot of super subtle ones, but no. it's like, I couldn't see the trees of the forest, everything so intricately woven together that it made no sense to think of one tree as independent from that hill. Yeah. Whereas oh. Miles' main problem is not seeing individuals as different. Yeah. And yeah. like, and he just like does these things so. Shout out to you, Green. Yeah. Page 39, you, you did a good metaphor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and after this moment, when they get kicked out of class, because Miles has been looking at the trees, Takumi and uh, the Colonel, they catch up to Alaska and Miles, and Alaska kind of shoes them out for not standing up for Miles in that moment. Um, and they go to this place called the Smoking Hole, which I don't really get what the visual was of this. It's by an old barn. Uh, it's it's under a bridge. John Green. So on his Instagram, John Green uh, recently posted a photo of oh. like the real life smoking hole. It's so and some, that's and, really cool. And one of the current. So there's a there's a real life academy that he went to to give a little bit of context. Um, but he uh, like a fan sent him a photo of the actual smoking hole, the bridge. And one of, like, the more recent students in, like, black spray paint painted, I go to seek the great perhaps Uh, in his old smoking hole that's about. So, like, there's through lines to this book where it's, like, I think it's still an impactful story. It's very personal to him. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you for... sweet. uh, Gosh, Austin, our resident fact checker. Thank God you're here. Uh, Our resident John Green (laughs) Historian. (laughs) And while Austin just made a smoking hole beautiful and a sacred place, the the characters in this book are not because Takumi is rapping. Yeah, doing some freestyle. Uh, cringe. I 
cringe it gave stuff. me the, the ick so bad like I feel I didn't write anything in my notes about how Takumi raps because I simply didn't want it to be true you guys there's a lot of rapping in this book and we're just <gasps> just that's just all you have to know you can read it and figure it out for yourself we're not gonna encourage that behavior of us to say what it is though so that's there's rapping going on at the smoking hole um and Alaska once again drops the fact that she likes sex She's a sexual woman. Yeah. What does it mean? Classic Alaska. Is she just a young woman and her beauty's her worth at age 16? Probably. Probably. And like talking about vices is like they talk about some other unimportant character who smokes (laughs) weed. And the colonel says he loves weed like Alaska loves sex. This is a man who once constructed a bong using a barrel of an air rifle, a right pair, an 8x10 glossy photograph of an Anna Coronova. Is it's just like, okay, that the description of the throwaway character doesn't matter. It's like, that description of like okay vice as sex and like this like crazy kind of decently complex world of like they all smoke they all drink and they're all obsessed with sex but the only one actually getting laid is alaska yeah so she's this like big like token of sexuality yeah in this whole friend group they're all kind of obsessed with her and this like yeah horny teenage boy idea of sexuality but it's explicitly stated like it's a vice like this isn't healthy no, no, which is 100%. interesting. Yeah. Um, after this, uh, they end up going to, this is a couple days later, they go to a basketball game. Like, we, we find out that this is a big basketball school, even though nobody is good at basketball. Which, <laughs> I, which I think is hilarious, where it's just like, everyone goes to basketball games, but their team is horrible. Um, Kevin, who is like the, the lead weekend warrior, tries to call a truce with the colonel, and the colonel doubles down and makes it, makes it into a game. And he's like, hey... If, if Miles knows the last words of the next president that you say, then we can call it, we won't call a truce. But if he doesn't, like, we will. Um, and so Kevin asks for Millard Fillmore's last words. Miles knows them. So the war continues. Yeah, Colonel's really being a pain in the ass in this game because he also gets kicked out for yelling at the other team going up for free throws. <laughs> so funny. I love chaos. it. This Absolute is like, chaos. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like with him, like doing that Millard Fillmore quote, Literally, the colonel's like, that was your first badass moment. Like, yeah. this is his validation. Like, yeah. all of a sudden, these these last words that were probably this, like, embarrassing, quirky thing have now become, like, his thing. His like, Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it's just, like, you can start to see Miles, like, puff out his chest a little yeah. bit of, like, I'm part of a crew. And he's like, you can see, like, wow, that's a really satisfying moment. It's like, it's this little thing. But, you know, it's like this masculinity, great perhaps, is yeah. starting to grow for him. Yeah. He's finally starting to fit in, and he starts really fitting in even more because the next day after a pre-calc exam, Miles meets Lara, who is going to kind of be a little bit like of a love interest. Um, she's from Poland. She is. She's got a slight accent in this. Guys, she's from Romania. She's from Romania. It's, oh it's my a God. literal bit in the book that Miles yeah, is such was, an asshole he can't, can't remember can't, where yeah. she's from. I know, and I was Are trying to serious? do the correct thing because, like, the, when she's introduced, they say she's Russian. And then later he says she's Polish, and then it turns out And she's Hungarian, and, yeah. and like Moldovan. Yeah, because like... Miles is a dick. Um, but yeah. they, they go to McDonald's, and they like pack six people into Alaska's car, and Lara gets to sit on his lap. So this is, a, this is pretty in, intense for high school Miles. It is. They uh, study a bit, they hang out, and we get introduced to Lara, who's gonna later on be a bigger character, but not right now. We're not gonna have our romantic fixations on her because later that night, Alaska and Miles are watching a movie in the TV room and they're kind of bonding. He is like, where did you get your name? She says, I picked it off a globe. I wanted Alaska because it sounded cool. Yeah, her parents let her pick her name. 
And she also says she wants to teach after college, but she kind of shies away from moments of being vulnerable. Mm. Um, it seems like, I mean, like, she doesn't really trust herself. She doesn't have the confidence and for she, it. And she certainly doesn't trust Miles. He sucks. It's the first time we get, like, a human depiction of Alaska. Yeah. Um, because she does want these things, and she isn't just completely uh, steeped in suffering. Yeah. Which is such a relatable thing mm. as a kid. You don't want to admit you want things because that makes you... A person or an adult you know absolutely and the first time she opens up she's talking about oh the future's a nostalgia she's actually trying to get deep with him she's trying to create the actual real life bonds of miles that he thinks he wants yeah he doesn't listen he cuts across her and then he just goes you know sometimes i don't get you and then she goes she didn't even glance at me she just smiled towards the television and said you never get me that's the whole point John Green yeah. is not being subtle no, here. You know, it's like, all. it's just like, you idiot. Like, hey, you want to look at her tits and you want to sexualize her and you think you're in love with her. She just tried opening up with you. you yeah. Idiot. Like, yeah. listen. And she, it's... Yeah. She tried to like let you into her actual world and you just like vehemently denied it. Yeah. You literally yeah. <laughs> rejected her. And then he's like, you know, that's been so moody. Yeah. Like, what a bitch, right? Like, uh, um, a little bit after this, the eagle does end up busting them for smoking in the woods. And they get called to jury, which is like a like essentially a council where I, he, lo- I yeah. love it so much. It's so like. fun. Um, but <laughs> yeah. it should be noted that Alaska's really nervous for this jury. While you know Takumi, the Colonel Miles, they're kind of like we're gonna be let off pretty easy. So it's it's it'll make sense later why Alaska was so nervous. But everyone gets off pretty easy. Um, which is good. Alaska and Colonel, all they have to do is do 10 hours of dishes in the cafeteria since they said they were the ones that were smoking and kind of indicate to Takumi and Miles that later on, if they have to take the blame for something else, then that's, that's what they're going to do because they're friends. Exactly. And the Um, intense prison rules of Culver Creek Academy. (laughs) Yeah. No, no snitching and somebody has to take the fall. Exactly. And it heightens this intensity, but I swear I went to a big public high school where like, if you were punished, you just went to detention. Yeah. I would have loved to have a jury of my peers. Incredible. Right? Like, oh my gosh. That would have been so funny. You probably would have gotten away with a lot more. I was going to say like the, the jury system in a public school would be like, we're going against the school. Yeah. Yeah. It would would last six minutes, right? It's so funny. (laughs) Um, But now Alaska's going to hold true to her quest to get Miles laid, and she's going to set him up with Lara from pre-calc. So they go on a triple date to a basketball game. Yep. And Miles doesn't even sit by Lara because Alaska's like, no, you sit by me. She's playing the long game, okay? She's playing the long game. He meets Jake, Alaska's boyfriend. And he's jealous. He's jealous because he's got, like, sandy blonde hair. He's in a band. He goes to Vanderbilt. He's a hot guy. He's in college. So I'm going to be the first one to say it. This book does not call out the fact he's, like, a 21-year-old college kid dating a 16-year-old. And it's just right, like... And I, I've been reading that in, right? Of just like, okay, Jake, he's probably off doing other things. And he seems to like treat Alaska well and she likes it. So like, cool. Consent is clearly there. But he is just such a nightmare for Miles. He yeah. struggles with masculinity and yeah. feeling younger and not being able to impress yeah. Alaska. And this like supermodel walks in and then like, right? Us like yeah. reading it. But it's like, hey, Miles, what you can't even see, right? Like he's probably a loser dating a 16 year old right yeah, this perception of sure, miles yeah. eyes is like 
oh god, he's a grown man. I'm like, he's a he's a 21 year old who plays bass in a band who's dating a 16 year old. Where, yeah. do, where do we where do we hear that? Yeah, you know, like it only gets worse for Miles too because at this basketball game, Colonel pisses off the other team by you guessed it, yelling, and someone just pelts Miles uh, with a basketball so hard that he gets a concussion. Yeah. So not only does he hate Jake, uh, Alaska's boyfriend, he now has a concussion and pukes on Lara's jeans when she comes to help him. Yeah, and also the colonel gets dumped. So this is a whole hectic it's event. It's bad it's a lot. Day. A lot happens. The moral of the story is don't go to basketball games because only bad <laughs> things happen. It's kind of interesting because Sarah breaks up with the colonel because she thinks that he cheated on her with Alaska which it didn't seem like it was true but I also sometimes got at times that the colonel did like Alaska yeah well. yeah or it's possible that they like hooked up when they were drunk once like yeah. it, it's like you kind of get that vibe like the colonel kind of gets Alaska it's interesting he's sad about the breakup but honestly I think this is a bullet dodge for Sarah oh. personally he seems very angry and very he drinks intense. a lot and though he is a protagonist that we are familiar with so we gotta love um that's kind of terrifying for a teenage girl. So, so stay away, girlfriend. Stay Toxic relationship, for sure. Like, oh, 100%. It's like, oh, my God. Um, yeah. Over the next few days, um, Alaska's being pretty distant. And it's milk and vodka time. And it's milk and vodka time. And Miles is like, why is Alaska being so weird and not talking to me? The last time you saw her, did you listen to her, Miles? Did, yeah. you, did you validate her feelings? Yeah. Did, you, did you do anything that she would want to hang out with? No. No. Absolutely not. not. And right? we get another layer that Alaska is a flawed person, individual, not this person on Miles' pedestal, because Takumi tells Miles that Alaska is actually the one that ratted on Paul and Myra, and also maybe told where the smoking hole was when the eagle busted them. Yeah. Violates all the rules of honor, all those prison rules, like basically just betraying all of her friends. Yeah. And so, but I think it's so interesting that Takumi's not bad. No. And he's, he's like this, like, knell through the storm, right? Of just yeah. being like, hey, Alaska's more complex than you think. And Miles just being like, don't know what you're talking about, man. Yeah. Just yeah. Like, nope. I, I got her. Nail on the head. Um, after this, um, it's Thanksgiving. And Alaska just convinces Miles to forgo his Thanksgiving plans to spend time with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and Miles is in, but then immediately starts feeling, like, homesick, which is... Miles, you can't have your cake and eat it, too. Why are you going to convince uh, yourself to stay for a girl who doesn't doesn't like you like that? But, I mean, that's what he does. And he gets homesick, and the colonel is like, you know what? If you guys want to come and stay and have Thanksgiving dinner with my family, like my mom, you yeah. can do that. There's a really important scene before the colonel um, invites them over to Thanksgiving is where they dig up a bottle of strawberry wine in the field because that's where Alaska holds her wine. Um, and Alaska like puts her hand on his thigh and like Miles is like, I really want to tell her that I love her. And it's like, buddy, you have spent like probably like six hours total like with this person. like. What do you love her for? Because yeah. she's showing any interest right. at all and he needs to be validated. And I exactly. Think, I think Alaska, right? She has this long distance boyfriend that she's so obsessed with. Yeah. But right, like yeah. they like on this trip, they go hunting for other people's porn. They do a little yeah. little bit of light breaking and entering, like just yeah. all in the name of fun. But then they're like watching porn together. They are discussing these like sexual things. She does like touch him and, and do all these things, and it's one where like I do think Alaska, right, like, needs the sexual validation. Yeah. And she knows that Miles is probably harmless enough to get away with it. Yeah. And it's, 
it's just such a train wreck. It yeah. It's just like, ah, oh, you know, and it's one where, you know, I want, you know, we, we constantly want to tell him like, Hey man, she's just goofing around. Yeah. And then, but like for him is it's just the, you can almost like feel the wave of hormones through yeah, the page. Right. Like, Oh my God. And on the soccer field, while they're getting drunk, she does bring up a, a pretty central focus of this, which is Simon Bolivar, which um, was someone who I think Gabriel Marquez, he wrote, a hundred years of solitude. I I think he wrote about him, but I think Simon Bolivar is a, a real person. Yeah, Simone Bolivar was like the um no like military leader that um, mm. liberated most of South America from like the Spanish Empire. Yeah. And so like the name Bolivia is like from Bolivar. And so like oh. he's he's like a massive figure in world history and he's like one of these yeah. like enigmatic figures that we don't understand that well. So when yeah. people write about him, he's kind of like one of these He's like a Napoleon or like mm-hmm. an Alexander the Great kind of person, especially mm-hmm. for like Latino people. And she talks about him um, and the question he poses, which is the question asked throughout this whole book, which is how do I get out of this great labyrinth of suffering? And they talk about that for a bit, which is a lot of teenage existentialism, you mm-hmm. know, a lot of suffering. But there's no time for suffering when there's turkey on the menu. Yeah, because Colonel, again, we as we said, invites them over to Thanksgiving. They end up sleeping over. It's a whole shebang. They have a good time. Um, and then they, it's a really cute scene. We see more of, like, Colonel's, like, home life and all that. His mom's really cool. Um, and then Alaska takes them to this, like, bodega that she goes to to go get booze. And she has a fake ID. It's a whole thing. Uh, Alaska does tell the colonel, she has previously told Miles, but she does admit to him that she was the one that ratted on Paul and Myra, and he is really upset about that because he takes loyalty and honor and code just to the extremes. Yeah, and Alaska gets really upset, and Miles is like, you know, she. I think she's trying to, like, lean on Miles, and Miles is obviously, you know, just being rubber that like everything's bouncing off of and she just tells miles that he only likes the fun side of her she basically calls him out for being like hey you don't like me you don't you like your idea of me yeah making making it explicit you know and just so many things about this book are i think like good novel writing Mm. um the thing that makes it a ya novel is just john green like laying vcs i think in like a like a for like a novel for adults would just lay them there and we yeah. would connect these. And yeah. so many times John Green will write something subtle and then yeah. have a full page describing what he means. Yeah, digesting it's, it. Yeah, this this book is its own spark notes. Yeah. Which I one is very cool, but I remember that being so much harder for me to understand when I was younger reading yeah. it. I'm like yeah. I'm like, wow, this is so deep and impactful. And now I realize like John Green is could probably write adult novels, but like yeah. this, this kind of explaining and working kind of younger people through these tougher subjects, yeah. Yeah. I find like very masterful because yeah. it's not condescending. He's not like listen up, reader. Yeah, because he's using it in Miles' voice and how like this character would yeah. process this. But yeah. I don't know. Just on the literature side of it, I find it interesting. Like, okay, why a has to describe some of these things because you know some yeah. of the some of the dots might not go connected yeah. by a younger reader. Yeah, percent. Um, and then that's Christmas vacation, and then they come back. It is in around <laughs> Christmas time. Alaska is planning this uh, pre prank with uh, the Colonel, but won't tell Miles what it is, which really pisses him off. But the prank will be called Barn Night. Uh, the Colonel is going to have the Eagle call his mom about Takumi and Miles staying over 
I think Lara and Alaska have plans to pretend like they're also off campus. Yeah, so they have to pack for two days in the woods. Uh, they they all get there, and the plan, as they say when they get to the bar, is to go into the system and alter some people's grades. Yes. So they're going to hack the data system. They're going to send some rich kids' parents notice that they're failing classes. And it seems to go off without a hitch. Yeah, yeah, it ends up being like pretty fun. Like they all get drunk after. Like they all they're able to distract the eagle by sending off firecrackers. Hell yeah, the swan ends up uh, biting Miles' booty. Yeah, this is this is the action scene. Like, yeah, hey, we've talked a lot about existentialism and emotions, and yeah. and so we we get an action scene. So we're we're running across where, and then they constantly talk about like. My heart is beating. It's like as if I've never smoked before, right? Yeah, this is like yeah. the big, one of like the big crescendos. And I think this is the main climax of yeah, the whole book. 100%. Like written like a little bit more than halfway yeah. before the end. Um, mm-hmm. Which I, I find very interesting. Yeah, I no, I agree with that. And They um, also do a little bit of Big Fat Liar. They put industrial blue dye into the Weekend Warriors shampoo mm-hmm. and hair. Exactly. Yeah, so they, they're, this is like full on 2000s movie. They're having a great time. Um, yeah. And then they, obviously, as I said, they get drunk and this turns into Breakfast Club because they just sit in a circle and talk about their best and worst days and their feelings. They're rapping. That. There's some rapping. There's more rapping. We are rapping. going to talk about the rapping. <laughs> they do best day, worst day, and we learn a few things. We learn that the colonel's dad cheated on his mom. We learn Alaska's big trauma is that her mom suffered an aneurysm and she didn't call 911 because she was a kid. And it kind of sounds like her dad blames her for her mom's Mm. death, which is a lot to carry. Um, And it's really not the setting, but it is the setting for Lara and Miles because they do make out. And he immediately immediately asks her to be his girlfriend, which is the most high school shit I have ever read. Oh, making out is the same as a proposal when I was 17. I'm like, we did it. We made it. Good job. Yeah. Um, They go and leave the next morning. Everything has gone off without a hitch. Miles ends up sleeping all day. And then we enter. This is the the final day before the the after. Yeah, I was I was going to mention that is like in my very old copy of this book, you can literally see this like black line. (laughs) And so like this, the uh, like we said in the beginning, this book is divided to before and after, after. But before and after on the paperback is is actually marked out by a black page. Yeah. So I found myself, right, this is a reread, I know what happens, you guys will get there in a second, but as you get closer to that black line, you've been counting down, right, yeah. for yeah. what, 150 pages, yeah. what, and so as I got closer and closer is like, it builds the sense of dread. Yeah. And the first time you read it, it's a sense of wonder. Yeah. Ooh, what are we counting down to? We've just had this amazing. Yeah. After what? Yeah. We, yeah. yeah we, we had this amazing scene, but right when you read it for a second time and beyond is it's yeah. this big sense of dread and irony that kind of creeps yeah. up on you, which I think as far as like formats of books and things like, yeah. One, it's very innovative, but two, like there is this physical black line and it, it got in my head a little. We can talk about what yeah. that after means yeah. in a little bit. But. For sure. No, and I also like that this like last day scene is like the longest scene in in this entire section uh, because it ends up almost obviously being a wrap up of what's happening in the before. Yeah, there's a lot of things that uh, 
transpire for all of the characters. I mean, there's like on the smaller side, Kevin, one of the weekend warriors, he's got blue hair, a la Big Fat Liar. Calls a truce, so like that's chill. They call it a truce. Um, Miles and Laura are hanging out watching TV. They're watching the Brady Bunch, which I guess sets the mood because they they try a first blow job. We try a little first blowy. It goes horribly wrong. <laughs> as 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 many people's first blowjobs horribly go. Lara just kind of sits with it in her mouth. No movement. Just sit. Just sit. Um, so they have to go ask Alaska. What, what do we do? And they go to their totem of sexuality. Yeah. Hey, Alaska Young, you're the most sexy Person. You're knowledgeable. Hey, yeah. 16-year-old who has sex with a adult. Yeah. Like, tell us how this goes. And it's and she, I mean, she does, and she and, does, and, and they, we, and then they go do that. Yeah, and, and we have like the most sensual moment in the book. Sometimes this book is like critiqued, especially by certain governments in Florida, <laughs> right, for being porn and being yeah. this thing. And you know, John Green has fought that since this book came out. And one of those concepts is so. There's a scene with an actual blowjob and is the least sexy, most most anxiety-provoking thing, and then Alaska kind of demonstrates a blowjob on, like, a tube of toothpaste, and Miles basically gets off there, right? It's trying to talk about, like, hey, he's not present. He doesn't want this blowjob. This real-life blowjob is, like... He's just a horny boy! He's a horny boy, but I think it's also, like... Dude, you probably shouldn't have consented to that no. blowjob if you didn't want it. If you no. just wanted to think about somebody else and you're not ready, right? Yeah. So, like, talking about, like, you know, coming of age and sexuality at, like, a younger age, I, I think this book kind of argues, like, hey, if you're not ready, don't go get an awkward yeah. blowjob. Like, it's like, the things you, know, you want like, to do because it's the same as smoking and drinking. It's, like, yeah. an achievement as a kid that you're, like, God, I don't have forever. It's I a, gotta do it yeah. now. It's a coming of age for the well, great yeah. perhaps. It's one of those, it's, like, well, everybody so, else has done this, so I have to do this, too. And More luckily, importantly, Alaska's already done it. He has yeah. to, you know. It is really Miles' day, though, for the sexy stuff because later that night, Alaska and Colonel are drinking, and Miles is, like, hey, I'll go join my friends and drink, and boy, does he have, he has a time. Yeah, so they, uh, Colonel gets most drunk. I don't think Miles is drinking. I think he was, like, too hungover. But, um, Alaska starts saying, like, let's play truth or dare. Miles immediately picks dare, and Alaska immediately dares him to hook up with her. It is the best progression how it's written. She says, hook up with me. There's a space. And then the next line is, so we did. And I screamed. Yeah. I loved how much drama there was in just having that. It's separate sentence. Yeah. And they do. Yeah, I mean, they just like make out like the entire time. The colonel's like passed out, and like, no, he's watching. No, I think he was. Pretty he's just like drunk zonked out. In the yeah, corner. he's zonked out. Yeah, though. Like, like he's not like asleep. asleep he but knows he's too what drunk. is happening though. He's just there the whole time. Uh, I mean, he's not commenting on it. Miles well, is like because he's very drunk. Cutting Alaska's tit, and and she, they kind of all fall asleep. Colonel's like, there's nothing that but drama that's going to come from this. And she leaves in the middle of the night and she comes back and she's sobbing. She's like, I have to go. I have to go. I have to go. I have to go. Um, but they are very drunk. Alaska and the Colonel specifically, they're both very drunk. But she, she's insisting she has to go. She yeah. has to drive somewhere. And it's like three in the morning. So they're just like, yeah, what? Like, go. And they are all hammered. Yeah. Like, very drunk. And, you know, it's one where, can I just, like, read yeah, the yeah, last section? Yeah, yeah, we're going, we're going straight to the text, but, fuck, she said, just get rid of the eagle for me, she said. Her sobs, childlike, half screams, God, oh God, I'm so sorry. Okay, said the colonel, start the car when you hear the second string. We left. 
We did not say, don't drive, you're drunk. We did not say, we aren't letting you in that car when you're upset. We did not say, we insist on going with you. We did not say, this can wait until tomorrow. Anything, everything can wait. We walked to our bathroom, grabbed the three strings of leftover firecrackers from the sink, and ran to the Eagles. We weren't sure that it would work again. This, like, unquestioning, mm-hmm. just, like, this wave of regret, right? That foreboding, yeah. you know? Yeah. That, that, that kind of feeling and, um, you know, the God, oh God, I'm so sorry, yeah. right? Ends up being the last thing in a, in a book obsessed with last words. Yeah. You know, we, we do get Alaska's last words, oh God, I'm so sorry, yeah. which, you know, throughout the, the rest of the book here is going to be a big motif. Mm-hmm. And so... You guessed what probably happens if you have read it. Um, Alaska, you know, she's, that's her last words. Yeah. Oh, so God, I'm sorry. And the next day... This um, is after territory. We're now. in after territory. The eagle wakes up um, Colonel and Miles and is like, "We, I need to get you to the gym urgently, immediately. Um, and the whole school is assembled and he says that Alaska was in an accident and died. And, I mean, the, they're responding accordingly. Miles is puking. He's like, this must be a prank. The colonel is just screaming um, that he's sorry. And it's it's pretty graphic. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, especially, like, young death. Like, yeah. I knew someone in high school who was someone who killed themselves. Mm. And you don't get over like the assembly of like seeing their face and everyone being there and the drama of it being delivered. Yeah. Like this book like really does become about the initial we're invincible. We're young. We can do anything to the reality of mortality and we're not invincible and everything can touch us even though we thought it couldn't. And we learned the way she died is pretty, it's pretty graphic. It's not a prank. There was a truck that was blocking and kind of like jackknifed itself on the highway on both lanes. And she just rammed into the cop car that was kind of separating the whole scene from her. And it doesn't seem like she ever swerved. She didn't really break. She just kind of went for it. Yeah. She hit the, she hit the gas. And the rest of this book is Colonel and Miles trying to figure out, like, no, it, it couldn't have been intentional. It had to be, like, an accident. Yeah. It wasn't, like, she killed herself. And and also trying to separate their own guilt. They let her yeah. go. They're feeling so guilty. And, and also, yeah. And just, you know, uh, Miles even says, you know, I close my eyes tight. The ineluctable fact of the matter at hand, I had killed her. Yeah. And yeah. so, like, these, these young men who... No one is ready to have a good friend die, but just watching them really for the next, what, 60, 70 pages just completely spiral. Yeah. Yeah. um, And trying to, like, cope and and make meaning out of their friend's death. Yeah, like, it's a really, really beautiful telling about how grief affects people differently and also, like, how grief can be handled so poorly to to no one's fault. Like, it's it's not like oh, because these people are bad, that's why they're handling this poorly. It's like, no, this was like, they're young. This is a very shocking and very just heartbreaking and tragic thing. And they don't know how to process it. The entire first book, we learned how bad at coping with normal problems they were. So now when this huge, huge issue has arisen, 
they're of course going to handle it just to an ex its extremes. Like the colonel just up and disappears and he walks 40 miles there and back. Yeah, yeah. 84 miles total. To like go get like a stack of books. Like it is like it, it, they, they really are losing it. Yeah. Miles sleeps for 14 hours, which yeah. is relatable in itself. Um, yeah, and so the day of the funeral rolls around, and, like, he ends up meeting, like, Alaska's father, mm-hmm. and, like, Alaska's dad yeah. is just being, like, pretty much, like, well, these things happen, like. Well, he's he's being an adult. Yeah. Right? Like, now, like, and I've been to funerals yeah. as an adult, right, and, like, yeah. these adults who are probably just destroyed in their own right, like, yeah. these are children, and I, you probably, he's had a wife die, he's had yeah. his daughter he's die, he's, he has himself. no one yeah. else, and then he's, like, holding it together for these kids, Yeah, but, like. There is, if I could critique the book, which, you know, is there's a lot of opportunities. Yeah. But, like, the funeral scene, right? Like, was there something left on the cutting room floor in that? Yeah. You know? and it's, yeah. Or, or were they just it's so really lost? quick. Yeah, yeah, it's a really quick funeral scene. And I think that's also because, like, when you think about funerals, like, they go by so fast because you're still not fully aware of everything that I happened. I haven't read it, but I have the 10th anniversary edition, and um, John Green included, he rewrote the cha- uh, the funeral a few times. Oh, okay. That's well, really so cool. Yeah, I didn't know that. I, I guess that this, I, I don't, it, before it was longer, and then this, it was shorter, so I'm sure there's, like, some meaning in it, but it is, yeah. it is short, which honestly... In my in my idea, I think it makes more sense because like yeah. in the next in the next par or paragraph in the next few pages, we learn um as the colonel and Miles are like looking for answers that Alaska has written straight and fast as a response to how do I get out of this labyrinth of suffering, which is essentially you know life is suffering straight and fast. You think suicide. So it makes sense why John Green doesn't sit with those moments. Yeah, especially like the funeral. Like Ooh. it's like. You know what? Death is just, it's straight and fast. Yeah. And that's what the answer is. Well, and also to, like, help them kind of start to go down this path of, like, we have to investigate this. In the before part, Alaska multiple times would jokingly say, like, I'm going to die young. I'm going to die young. I'm trying to not live, like, a long life. So she would say things like that, like, at nauseum. So to a point, like, it, it has to make them wonder, was this intentional? Um, yeah. We, they also learned that um, Alaska's final paper for the first semester of the religion class was all about, you know, how do we get out of this labyrinth of endless suffering. So now they're they're very much colonels like, I've got to make sense of this as a way to figure out the why. So that way we can finally, like, put this to rest. And Miles is not on board. So... On top of that, Hyde, their philosophy religion teacher, also poses the how do I get out of this labyrinth of suffering as the question that they are going to focus on that semester. Mm-hmm. Baller move as a teacher. Yeah. Also, like, it's yeah. probably a bit much, but yeah. right? But like, oh, you know, you're teaching a world religions and philosophy class, probably the class that like people aren't relating to. And it's like, you yeah. make this as like, hey, these questions matter. And I, that's like John Green being like, hey, thinking about this stuff isn't just existential bullshit. Yeah. You should have an answer. Like, what do you think about this? Which, exactly. you know, for younger, for younger people reading this is, I always found that captivating. Yeah. Yeah. And as people do when facing kind of their first death, as Laura said, the Colonel and Miles are really looking for, um, reason and motive to why she did this they write down a plan so they don't go insane about talking to eyewitnesses figure out how drunk she was figure out why she did it or who specifically she called before she crashed her car so they start just going down the list the next day they go to the cops a cab and they (laughs) talk to the cop whose car she ran into ally and um the cop is like 
you know, she she never stopped. She just barreled into yeah, me. Yeah, like literally straight and fast like they they read in her book. So the cop says it was weird, though. He said, like, there's no swerve. He also says that uh, Jake's white tulips that were in her room were in her car. Um, and so now um, the colonel and Miles really are like, this might be They look up a reasons suicide. why someone would kill themselves. Yeah. They're going to wiki how up. Like, yeah. oh, why did someone kill themselves? Um, um, and also in this moment, Colonel does accuse Miles once again of making up a version of Alaska in his head. Okay. And, like, the Colonel in his own grief, like, still has to deal with his friend who didn't even know this girl. Like, and I, yeah, like, he's rightfully pissed. Because Miles doesn't want Colonel to call Jake just yet. Yeah. And Colonel's like, just fucking deal yeah, with it. she wasn't your yeah. girlfriend. We have to call her boyfriend. We have to understand. And so, like, this is another one of those John Green moments looking directly into the camera. Yeah. For younger readers, right? Like, let yeah. me make this explicit. So you just stop worrying about your goddamn self for one minute and think about your dead friend. Sorry, long day. But it's like Miles yeah. is being like, he's like, Takumi says it. Um, mm-hmm. Laura says it later. Yeah. Um, the Colonel says it is just like, you are so obsessed. You're so horny for someone that like, even yeah. when she's dead, you're not letting her die. Yeah. Like, just, just think of her, the real person, yeah. not your own feelings. What could be like? Yeah, it's yeah. Like, it, it is sad, and it's like, but it is like truly like Miles is such a villain oh, in this 100%. in this back half of the book, especially. He's just unable to one cope, which is understandable, but not get over his own little mind Ooh. of like sex. And, and it says yeah. it also in this book because like we know her last words were the like, oh god, oh god, I'm so sorry. But Miles is focusing on what he wants to be her last words were her telling him to be continued. But and those so, weren't her last words. Those were her last words, yeah. and it just goes yeah. to give in. He has such an idealization and a, a construction of Alaska, and he's still trying to write her narrative, even though like her narrative it was written out for him like and it's over yeah it's it is over. over it is done yeah. and it's i don't know i i think he is like truly like you know i think it's become more popular in the last like 10 15 years since this was written but like this is a book from the perspective of such a villain yeah um, and like not in yeah. an understandable but, like, way but in like a, in a believable yeah. way because like yeah. that's sure. the thing it's like i feel like there's parts of miles that like i could even relate to when i was yeah. in high school and i feel like everybody like deals with that when you like you finally have to realize that other people are also people and kids are shitheads kids are shitheads yeah and that's and i was i don't know about you guys but like and like i identified with miles so much but now reading it back i think john green is angry at a younger self and i was angry at miles too and it's and like as a young man i was like yeah this miles guy he's got it figured out and now i'm like i'm so glad i reread this but also like I've got something to talk about in therapy next week. Like, yeah, hey, oh, for sure. You know? Yeah. And in the next step in them trying to rewrite Alaska's narrative, they are going to figure out how drunk she is. So they cook up a plan to steal the breathalyzer from the Eagle's house because they just, I guess, have 24-7 access to his house. It's like a 7-Eleven. Yeah. They get the breathalyzer. Yeah, I love their Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. Like, there is like a little side bit of them like yeah. Yeah, sneaking like, in. It's you know, have to throw in an action scene. There's yeah, a lot of, you know. You know, the, I think I, it was a, honestly a great point to put this because of, like, all of the, like, heavy and feelings things to put just something a little bit goofy in there. Yeah, yeah. there's real pacing to this Yeah, book, like, like, no, it's, it's again, it's, it's a very yeah. well-paced book and well, very captivating. His editor was clearly like, all right, can we yeah. turn off the melodrama for, like, yeah, a like, few fine. pages? Yeah. And the colonel gets drunk to the point uh, that Alaska was. They get the little breathalyzer. Point two four. Nuts. The insane. Insane. The eagle 
comes around um, and Miles tries to cover it up by smoking and so he's got jury duty tomorrow. But they do come to the conclusion that she could have still seen the road at 0.24 alcohol. I don't know. Who's to say? I don't I don't know if I've ever been that drunk. But yeah. Triple drunk. That is not yeah. just one, not just two, but yeah. three, right? Like that's yeah. But they do bring up like what well, she just fell asleep. And they reject the idea, even though it's relatively plausible, because it's not good enough. Yeah. It's not interesting enough for them. Like they are looking yeah. for still for this great perhaps. Yeah, oh, Alaska Young. Life. The yeah. great Alaska Young couldn't have some very clearly ironic death yeah. of just falling asleep at the wheel she had to either commit suicide or be doing some kind of stunt and it's like one thing i read into that is like boy she may have fallen asleep yeah you don't know and, and just that and then like and like there's tons of literature like right in the english language about like the irony of death blah 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 yeah. but yeah so it's i don't know yeah and then after this um at jury um colonel once he comes out of it tells takumi everything about um like him and miles and what they've been up to investigating why minus the kiss um and then they are calling jake the next day to kind of figure out if he was the one that called alaska and big whoop takumi also reveals that he liked alaska because everyone likes alaska in this book yeah um but we learned from jake that you know he was the person that called the night it was their anniversary and he had to call her exactly at 302 a.m because that's their anniversary and he says out of nowhere alaska just freaked out like he literally plays over the conversation alaska was just saying she was doodling and then she kind of lost it and hung up um, so they're kind of left with more questions than answers after that. Mm-hmm. Um, Miles, uh, walking down memory lane, goes to the same, uh, like, bodega he went to with Alaska on Thanksgiving, gets some cigarettes from there. Yeah. Uh, and then Miles also, in some sort of redemption arc, tries to go apologize to Lara, gets kneed in the balls by her roommate, which is hilarious. Thank God! Miles yeah. is the villain. And, like, whenever we interact with characters that don't, like, truly love Miles, yeah. they hate him. Yeah. Which is just, like, an interesting view. And also, Laura doesn't let him off the hook. No. He, like, explains, gives some half-hearted apologies for, like, ghosting her and being really rude and sexist to her. Yeah. And then he explains himself and she goes, no, I don't believe that. And he goes, well, I'm trying here. Which I'm like, for apologies, right? Like that yeah. I'm sorry yeah. motif, those last words of Alaska, he is apologizing. But I just love that, you know, they're not letting him off the hook I for, know. His, for his own behavior. She's like, you didn't have to be my boyfriend. We could have just been friends. And it seems like that's what they land on is being friends. But also, ugh, she gave a blowjob. She can't go back. Uh, right. At that young age? Come uh, on. But just, um, ugh, the, 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 the gang's back in action. Uh, Solara, Miles, Takumi, and the Colonel go to the smoking hole to kind of debrief on their evidence and their findings. Um, And then they're not really concluding anything from this. And Miles calls his parents afterwards. And then that's what he remembers that like Alaska was doodling. He sees one of the flowers that she often doodled. um, And he tries to use that to kind of come up with an answer, but it doesn't really lead anywhere. No, he's like, maybe she forgot something. So she kind of went to the car, but it felt like a very insignificant find. And in the meantime, the Colonel is like, you know, I think in her honor, we should do a senior prank and they iron out plans. And I kind of love the senior prank 
um, motif because it's like it to me seems like life is going on. They're yeah, on. yeah. So the the prank ends up being for Speaker Day. They are going to hire a stripper instead of an actual speaker. Miles gets his dad to play along with it, which is like cool dad. That's a little dabbler. I was say, cool um, and so they get this stripper named Max, and they pay him ahead of time because the guy's like, hey. Uh, just because, like, I'm not going to do full nudity for a bunch of high school students, and they were like, please, because uh, that's Oh, oh, and a, oh, yeah. a grown yeah. man is 20 who's not going to have sex, Jake. Yeah, yeah like, seriously. Don't stop sexualizing yeah. kids. Um, Sorry. You know, no, <laughs> My beef no, no, Jake right. in this no. book. But yeah, and the, and the prank go, goes on. Matt, Max, with two X's, the stripper, he starts dancing. The eagle shuts it down pretty quickly, but people are raving about it. And the eagle comes to Miles's and Colonel's room, and he just lets them off the hook. He was like, "That was good." Yeah, and, and he knows that it was voiced through Alaska because the speech that they had the stripper um, give as a professor of sex um, was just kind of riddled with the patriarchy yeah. sucks essentially. Yeah, the the last line we get from the eagle in this book is like after he lets them off the hook, and he's just been such like. The authoritarian figure, yeah. they're constantly working around him. And uh, the last line we get from him is, he smiled and closed the door. Yeah. You know, uh, and it, it's just one of these things where they see him as such a villain. But, but he's not. No, like like the eagle, this like terrifying figure for them. Like as children, I'm like. Yeah, yeah. he's I'm just like, doing his job. He's doing his job, but he's like doing it well. And he, he also cares. cares. Yeah. Like, yeah. He like, at no point has he ever shown that he doesn't care. Like he's like literally just being like, hey kids, you, you can't smoke cigarettes. Like that's bad. Like. <laughs> yeah. And during this time, um, Takumi has a bit of a breakthrough. He's like, January 10th is the day that Alaska died but ninth is the day that her mom brought her to the zoo. So they pieced together that she was bringing um, flowers to her grave and she died going through the barricade. Yeah. It felt so bad. And it's kind of beautiful here because like now they still have, they have the closest thing they'll get to a why, but they'll still never get the full answer as to actually what happened. And this is when they kind of decide to stop pursuing it. They just know that she was going to give flowers to her mom. That's why she was upset. They don't know her intention. They don't know if she fell asleep. They won't ever know that. They kind of have a final goodbye. The colonel's like, I want to drive through the motions of Alaska's last day. And they drive at 3 a.m. in Takumi's SUV, just Colonel and Miles. And they're like, sometimes it just felt natural that she was dead. Um, And then they speed up and they go through the moment of where she died. And they slow down and they cry and they hug. And it's... Very beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also such I a cried. vulnerable moment between these two kind of like, like this like yeah. macho bros, like like the you know, the colonel's the center of masculinity yeah. in the book, and this Miles is... looks up to him like as a man. And this is the first time yeah. they cry about Alaska's death. Yeah. Like, and they hold each other and cry. Yeah. And it's I, I thought that was a very beautiful Yeah, moment. no, and it's like again, it says a lot about people's coping, especially like young males who are so afraid to show their emotion and be vulnerable. Like a lot of their reactions were anger going through this or or we're going to figure it out yeah you two are going to figure out the mystery of death like there's no mystery here (laughs) yeah Yeah. and so it it was it's really nice that that is the like solution there is they actually decide to like sit in the feeling together and dr hyde um in his philosophy for their final um is given the how would you personally survive alaska's labyrinth of suffering Miles has a really beautiful line about after all this time, it still seems straight and fast is the only way out, but I'll choose the labyrinth. It'll, it blows, but I'll choose it, which I thought was very beautiful. Mm. We kind of get a goodbye to Takumi, which is he left a note about how he was really mad at them. 
for, uh, for kind of cutting him out of plans, Colonel and Miles. Because, um, like, he was going through a death, too, and they just kind of iced him out, which sucks. Yeah, and he mentions that, like, hey, you two chuckleheads were in love with her, but so was I. Yeah. Like, you yeah. guys keep... You guys got so caught up in your kind of macho feelings and Miles, of mm-hmm. course, being so caught up in himself that Takumi and Lara, right? These are these yeah. two people that are forced out from their like joint grief and yeah. it was mainly because yeah. they were being selfish. And it's yeah. and so they get called out. Like mm-hmm. and their their friend doesn't say goodbye to them, right? So it's one of these like kind no, of big moments. No, it's just a note. That's really sad. Yeah. It's like losing a friend in a, in another way, because he's like, I felt so isolated in my grief. Yeah, and yeah. he was like, I'm moving back to Japan. Yeah. See you never. Bye, and it's just yeah. like and and Hopefully, right, like, they don't ruminate on this too much, but it's like, hopefully that was impactful for them. Like, get another signal from these other people, like, guys grow up. Yeah, and he also Mm -hmm. says that he saw Alaska that night, too, like, right before she got Mm -hmm. in her car, and he's like, and I had to deal with that, too. Like, Yeah, yeah. he's like, I didn't stop her either. This thing that you guys thought was your dirty little secret that you're so evil for, like... You weren't alone in that. No. There were other people who knew her yeah, that it's could like, have helped. And yeah, it's like, again, the world doesn't revolve around you. Like, life w- w- exists outside of what you two are currently doing. But also, you. lighten up, boys. Yeah. Like, like, it's one where it's like, you didn't kill her. Yeah. yeah. We are in this together, and grief is 100%. such a community it is. a community thing. Yeah. yeah. I feel like in death, it's like, I mean, even the dad not crying and, like, you know, going to, like, my own aunt's funeral two months ago and not seeing the people who are at the front of a line at the wake. Like, they have to really keep it together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, for who? Who do you have to yeah. keep it together for? Yeah. You don't have to suffer individually. I was at a big family funeral, like, literally last week. Yeah. And so it was one reading this, and, yeah, that same, like, oh, community awesome. grief. And of it was obviously very different scenario yeah. here. But it's just, like, seeing communities grieve. And, like, that's why I was so surprised about the funeral scene. Like, funerals are our societal center yeah. of grief. And that's how we process it as a community. He, gloss over it but of course you know you mentioned like he went yeah. back and forth on that yeah i think it was pretty intentional for what he picked mm-hmm. and um we get takumi's goodbye um we get the end where miles finally answers the how do i get out of the labyrinth of suffering um and i i want to read it unless yeah you let's guys go have for it last thoughts absolutely so it's a little bit long but it is like so beautiful and mm-hmm. i will definitely cry reading it um but it is Miles' response to how to get out of the labyrinth of suffering in his final. Before I got here, I thought for a long time that the way out of the labyrinth was to pretend that it did not exist, to build a small, self-sufficient world in a back corner of the endless maze and to pretend that I was not lost but home. But that only led to a lonely life accompanied only by the last words of the already dead. So I came here looking for a great perhaps, for real friends and a more than minor life, And then I screwed up, and the colonel screwed up, and Takumi screwed up, and she slipped through our fingers. And there's no sugarcoating it. She deserved better friends. When she fucked up all those years ago, just a little girl girl terrified into paralysis, she collapsed into the enigma of herself. And I could have done that, but I saw where it led for her. So I still believe in the great perhaps, and I can believe in it in spite of having lost her. Because I will forget her, yes. That which came together will fall apart imperceptibly slowly, and I will forget, but she will forgive my forgetting. Just as I forgive her for forgetting me and the colonel and everyone but herself and her mom and those last moments she spent as a person. I know now that she forgives me for being dumb and scared and doing the dumb and scared thing. I know she forgives me just as her mother forgives her. And here's how I know. I thought at first that she was just dead, just darkness, just a body being eaten by bugs. I thought about her a lot like that, as something's meal. 
What was her? Green eyes, half a smirk, the soft curve of her legs would soon be nothing, just the bones I never saw. I thought about the slow process of becoming bone, and then fossil, and then coal that will, in millions of years, be mined by humans of the future, and how they would heat their homes with her, and then she would be smoke billowing out of a smokestack coating the atmosphere. I still think that sometimes. Think that maybe the afterlife is just something that we made up to ease the pain of loss, to make our time in the labyrinth bearable. Maybe she was just matter and matter gets recycled. But ultimately, I do not believe that she was only matter. The rest of her must be recycled too. I believe now that we are greater than the sum of our parts. If you take Alaska's genetic code and you add her life experiences and the relationships she had with people, and then you take the size and shape of her body, you do not get her. There is something else entirely. There is a part of her greater than the sum of her knowable parts, and that part has to go somewhere because it cannot be destroyed. Although no one will ever accuse me of being much of a science student, one thing I learned from science classes is that energy is never created and never destroyed. And if Alaska took her own life, that is the hope I wish I could have given her. Forgetting her mother, failing her mother and her friends and herself, those are awful things. But she did not need to fold into herself and self-destruct. Those awful things are survivable because we are as indestructible as we believe ourselves to be. When adults say teenagers think they are invincible with that sly, stupid smile on their face, they don't know how right they are. We need never be hopeless because we can never be irreparably broken. We think that we are invincible because we are. We cannot be born and we cannot die. Like all energy, we can only change shapes and sizes and manifestations. They forget that when they get old. They get scared of losing and failing, but that part of us is greater than the sum of our parts cannot begin and cannot end and so cannot fail. So I know she forgives me, just as I forgive her. Thomas Edison's last words were, it's very beautiful over there. I don't know where there is, but I believe it's somewhere, and I hope it's beautiful. And I think that that is, like, such a beautiful, I mean, like, I sobbed when I read it. I'm sobbing now because it's so beautiful to imagine that life continues going on. And, like, as a teen, I mean, I was, like, really reflecting on it this past week. Like, when my dad's dad died as a teen, you know, you know so much and you say the most casually cruel things. And I remember telling him that I was like, I don't think grandpa went anywhere. I think he's in the dirt. And I think like reading this as a kid and thinking you are indestructible mm -hmm. and then reading it as an adult and facing so much grief and so much loss. It's like, you want hope. You want like Thomas Edison said that there's something more beautiful on the mm -hmm. end of it. And like, I mean, this was just, like, really one of the best books I've read on grief. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. No, it's, like, it offers such a perspective that, like, even reading this in high school, that final pages, like, you still can't wrap your head around it until you get older. Like, that's just it. Yeah, the, the first time I read this, I hadn't, like, yeah. grandparents here and there, but I hadn't had a younger friend die yet. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, in the years, kind of, like, after high school, I had several friends. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, just, just from, from different ways pass away, I've been to too many funerals, mm -hmm. and then, so, like, reading it now as an adult and how I've processed that grief and how it's changed yeah. me, right, like... It, you know, and, you know, I think people like to joke about John Green and, you know, some of the tropes and, and who he is online. Yeah. Right? yeah. And, but sitting down and reading this, like, it is an award-winning piece of literature. And For it's, a reason. And yeah. still, like, it is one of books about grief are not the most fun rides. And, mm -hmm. like, somehow he encaptured kind of, you know, an adventure coming-of-age story and yeah. one of probably the last 10 years 
probably better books on grief. I think it's very impressive yeah, still to this day. And, I agree. And I, I, yeah. was, I was, I finished the book earlier today, cried, just cried again. Yeah. You know, and it's, you know, it's, uh, it's lightning in a bottle here. I think mm-hmm. this, this book is pretty impressive. Because mm-hmm. death makes you have to grow up and like Miles grows so much as a protagonist and it's not like a thing that you should have to grow about, but it is really sobering. And the idea of like someone who passes like just them passing does not take away from everything that they contribute to the world and can contribute, continue to contribute in just keeping their memory alive is such a, is such a beautiful message. Like really sitting after this and having so many, so much family pass in quarantine. Mm -hmm. This was like the best book I could have read and being like, God, what good does it do to just keep looking for answers or keep thinking about it? Yeah. Because it tarnishes their memory in a way because it's like, they wouldn't want me to sit in that grief, you yeah. know? They'd want me to live in, in like, memory of them, not in spite of, you know, yeah. the, that, the big moment, which is so great. Yeah. I mean, like, fuck, this book is probably my favorite that we've read. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just just so different to a lot of the (laughs) books that exist and that we've read. Like, I don't think I know off the top of my head another YA book that handles and is directly a subject of grief and processing your emotions and also just again the the reality of more the mortality of it all yeah yeah and then on top it's like hey it's not just about grief it's it's not com- it's a it's, it's i a, think a well-executed coming-of-age novel but yeah. also struggles with masculinity and self and yeah. discovering and also empathy there's a lot of like major themes in this book by making miles such a shithead yeah, yeah. Um, but but at the end right those were miles words so yeah. like this book can also be seen right as kind of a long redemption arc for miles and yeah him having to confront these negative things and like you know at the end like there's still some things that right if you want to be really critical like did miles learn all the lessons maybe not but at yeah. the end he's gone a really far away right that's progress. the thing where it's like yeah. i think it's like you could debate so long like how much did miles actually like learn and that's yeah. the thing sure. and that's the beauty of it it's yeah. like you could argue, well, he's a changed person forever. It's like, but I, you could also argue, like, he's got a long way to go still, but he's got something to keep going towards. Yeah, so, big formative moments. Yeah, sure. absolutely. Um, on that note, and that, yeah. on that note, we're going to end this um, episode on a light and positive note. Um, so we're still going to do our canceled character. We're still going to do our top yeah. five. Let's start with nominees for our canceled character. Austin is our guest. Oh, shit. I you have am, to go first. <laughs> yeah, so I'm canceling Jake, Alaska's boyfriend. Oh, that's right. Um, because, hey, you're a 21-year-old who's dating a 16-year-old, and you show up, and you're sneaking her out, and you know you're breaking the rules, but also, you didn't show up to her funeral. Yeah. She died. I you forgot. knew what, You knew what you were doing was wrong. You wouldn't look her down the eyes and say who you were. You're canceled, Jake, and I know that you're held up as this, like, paragon of masculinity like so many hot bassists and bands are <laughs> stop dating children and if you are going to date one show up to their goddamn funeral jake sorry yeah. i've been on one about it while i've no, been reading I and said. i just like unforgivable stuff like yeah. as a as a man in his 20s don't date children and also don't be a piece of shit yeah i'll concede to jake. i'm gonna concede too yeah i i was still unsure of who i was gonna say but i you made the Best and most cunning argument. I was going to say, no sorry, comparable. I've been, like, fired up about No, no, and that was ah. beautifully said. Jake is the canceled character. Every bassist I've fucked has been a terrible person. And Jake <laughs> is no different. Um, so let's talk about our top five. Uh, and this is my favorite segment of our of our little show. Okay. This is going to be our top five better senior pranks yeah. that they could have pulled. Because I think we all agree the stripper was fun, but, like, could, could, it could 
banged harder. Yeah. For sure. Also going to point out, junior prank. They aren't seniors. Yeah. They all have to go back to school and, Maybe like, they're saving it. Maybe, Maybe they, they are. are. Sorry, go on. Though. Does Sorry. Austin want to start it off? Yeah, start with five. Start with number five. Yeah, so our top five better prank that could have been played um, uh, is just his dad's prank. Yeah, number five. The, yeah, there's a through line in this about how he wants to kind of one up his dad, right? His paragon of masculinity. We're gonna throw a better prank. And uh, his dad stole the school bell, which is, like, central to, like, school operations. Yeah. Buried it in the cemetery and ransomed it back to the leadership of the school. <laughs> which Honestly, is a far superior prank. Mr. Halter, take a bow. Take that's, a bow. That's great. Go on and take a bow. <laughs> um, number four, they kind of started this by uh, dyeing the Weekend Warriors hair blue. But I want to see Act 3 of Big Fat Liar because it involves everything. It involves a helicopter. It involves the kid who played um, Steve Urkel as a kid. Yeah. The, that guy. Jameel White. Jameel White. It involves... Don't call um, me Urkel. <laughs> it, it involves getting some freaking some g- g- well-reserved revenge <laughs> on Marty Wolf of Marty Wolf Productions, but it would be I love that film yeah. This so one much. was really missing Marty Wolf as a main character. <laughs> Where is Paul Giamatti? Um, no, but it oh, could, Paul Giamatti is the eagle. Slow down though. It could be get it on the eagle. Um, and then number three, uh, following another movie a trope, I would I would mm-hmm. love some she's all that action where they're uh, you're starting a love affair with the eagle, um, and then it ends up turning out it was a whole bet. That would be a very John Tucker Must Die, very she's all that, very fun for for me. Oh, absolutely. Um, number two, we had what if we did a little prank at Alaska's funeral. <laughs> I feel like that's <laughs> what the prank would be. We don't I was, know. I was gonna say after all the emotions of this podcast, I regret number two. Now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. Maybe um, they proceed down the aisle to a space jam soundtrack. Is that what it is? Come on, <laughs> Welcome to the space jam. Maybe they saw t-shirt guns in the open casket. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Um, and number one, the best prank of all. Would be if Alaska wasn't actually dead. You know their uh, their denial phase of their grief. That's right. Yeah. It was real. It was, but yet again in American literature, Tom Sawyer fakes his own death, right? And exactly. Finn rather, right? So it's just Look like, and it's like, ooh, we're gonna go deep cut. She was hiding in the rafters just to see how sad Miles and the Colonel were. That's so. Some, some Mark Twain level yeah. shenanigans. Just to one. see if she should actually yeah. break up with Jake or not. Yeah. Yeah, he didn't even show up to my funeral. He wow, was using that me. is not yeah, boyfriend material. Cancelled. Cancelled. One hundred percent cancelled. And that's gonna be it for our first episode of Looking for Alaska of the John Green season. Make sure you follow us on social media at Maggie underscore and underscore Laura uh, on Instagram at Yabby Reddit on Twitter and TikTok. Yep. And if you want to follow Austin, do you want to plug your socials at all? Absolutely. So uh, at Twitter, where I am probably the most unhinged, that's at Austin T. Merrill. Nice. And then um, and then on Instagram, where, you know, you'll get to see Instagram stories of my cats. That's at A.T. Merrill. So please come on down. Two R's, two L's, y'all. And join us next week when we'll be doing Abundance of Catherines. Yes, with another one of our friends. And that's going to be it for this episode. See y'all next week.